Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Good evening, everybody, and welcome along with the time in the UK just after 8 o'clock, British summer time. It's Series 15, Episode 20, on the 20th of May. I'm John Hindorf, and this is Midweek Motorsport. Up in London is our executive producer, Tim Greer. Beautiful evening, Tim. Good evening to you. Uh, good evening, John. I can't see the beautiful evening because we've had to uh, close the blinds to uh, stop the uh, warmth getting in. Seems reasonable. On a packed show tonight. Uh, we have all the usual features and uh, all the usual guests. We'll be joined by Nick, we'll be joined by Shay, we'll be joined by Declan. And we have a big interview, uh, which is very uh, apt for today's date. It is indeed. For those of you who know your motorsport history, I think back just one year ago today, it was unfortunately the day that we lost Nicky Lauder and we'll be celebrating his life. Uh, in the second half of tonight's programme, uh, starting with our big interview with a man who has wrote an ex- uh, written an extraordinary uh, account of Nicky Lauder's career. Nick Damon will be uh, looking back on Nicky's life after motor racing uh, as well. That's all to come in the second hour of the show. We've got a big question as well as a big interview tonight. And the big question tonight is how hard should we be trying to restart motorsport on the in the week where a number of series have either restarted, planned to restart, or have put out proposals on how to keep everybody safe when they restart, how important is motorsport, and should we be getting it started? How hard should we try? That's the big question uh, at Specutainment, please, this evening. And use that hashtag BQ for big question. So RSL BQ for the big question. What do you think we should be doing? Uh, Racer just published their updated uh, uh, updated questionnaire or answers to their questionnaire about what people think about the current situation. Ooh, what I do you that think? That in last week. Mm. It, it's uh, it just the the all of the analysis of that was finished today. Uh, it's on the listeners' collective. If you want to go and have a look at it, go and watch it. Yes, Paul absolutely. Fanner posting that RSL BQ for the big question. Uh, tonight, how hard should we be trying to get motorsport started? And I'm seeing that as a completely open question. You might say motorsport's not that important. Maybe we should wait a bit longer. You might say it's a £10 billion industry in the UK. We need to get it started straight away. Uh, let's hear your questions or your answers to that, please, on uh, at RSL, uh, at uh, Tierman, hashtag RSLBQ. Hello to Sir Dirty Uncle Kevin. Hopefully the neighbours' dogs are quiet tonight for you. Uh, If I was there, I could whisper to them. 
for you. Hello to Matt Endine, who's getting the ZR rally car ready for the weekend. Uh, he's got a staff quiz tonight, so he's saving the podcast for when he's prepping the ZR. Neil Gardner, he has a Boxster, a Porsche Boxster on the board tonight, and some Bombay Bramble gin and tonic in a glass. Mm. I think one might not be the better for the other, to be honest, Neil. But it depends be, what you're doing with the careful. gin. Be careful. Be uh, careful. And uh, Tommy this and Tommy that. Uh, can you get us up uh, to speed on the WEC's plan, Le Mans plan for a virtual Le Mans? Well, we'll talk about that later on. Not much to say about that because they're just planning it at the moment. Uh, Steve Gardner, EFAs for the first hour. Some idiot, me, he says. Uh, scheduled a 3 to 4 p.m. conference call, so he'll be listening by the time we get to the big interview. Uh, Brody, no EFAs tonight. Looking forward to some cars on track discussion while resting up for more NASCAR uh, this evening. Uh, we've also got listening Randy Brown tonight, who's in Seattle. Ruptured Duck listening uh, tonight, Rob Jainer, uh looking forward to Nick talking about Formula One uh, as well. Uh, also, Dome 75, no F- EFAs tonight for a long time. Dome, we haven't heard from you from a, for a very long time indeed. Doing some cleaning with the best entertainment, wondering which DPI constructors have been given positive signs for building an LMDH car. It's a good question and I'm not sure we can give you an answer. For that, David Raleigh, three weeks in a row from the Home Office. Dave Alcock, listening in as usual at two night. Kevin Payne, EFA for him tonight. Uh, we keep getting reminders for our Le Mans prep, which we'll need to reschedule. Yes, I'm getting that sort of time, isn't it? A month away, we'd have been, but less than that, would have been on the road. Uh, the Carol Brink has Kevin back in, overlooking the bay. Uh, First time back at home since Christmas Day, believe it or not. Chris Suku's faffing about with his extensive camera equipment. No jokes about the long lenses there, if you don't mind. Uh, cycling into the sunset, says Spooner in orange tonight, so no AFAs. Uh, and Monty listening in, highlight of my week, he says. No AFAs for slow pass either. Grades are in. Uh, your boy finished with straight A's. Well done. Well done. The Angry Pothole, EFAs, catching up on the Supercars E-Series, catching up via the podcast with the dog walking tomorrow. Just signing off from work, says Serafina Chu, and nearly forgot to tune in. But you're here now, as is Simon Hoff, who just made it in time. And Jules Outybridge, warm studio. Where's the aircon, he says. Turn it up. Or open the windows. Aircons for machines, unfortunately. Not for humans. Uh, Jonathan Main is listening live while driving to Rostock, virtually, of course. Euro Truck Simulator. Super weird to see Europe during a lockdown. Oh, I like that. Is this the one that um, the F1 drivers have been yes, doing? Yes, I think so. Uh, uh, Chris is twice in a row tonight. He says, I can get used to this. Phil's back. Uh, just realised the time, but he's in. Patrick Drone listening as well, as is Sarah Rigby. Uh, she's been... Tidying up the garden. Excellent. All good stuff. Uh, and Sir Phil, looking forward to a proper weekend when I can take the camp at the Silverstone, a few beers and the meals of the White Horse. Relax on the banking with friends in the collective. And David Harvey listening live. He's been keeping busy modelling. 
Uh, keep them coming in at Specutainment and the answer to the big question, uh, which is, of course, how hard should we be trying to get motorsport restarted? What measures could, should we put in place or not? That's the big question tonight. Let's hear your answers at Specutainment. Here's the big story and the top story. been around a long time to uh, remember what this uh, jingle's for. My perfect cousin. Cousin Kevin Harvick, isn't it? Yes. Because uh, on Sunday, there was an actual motor racing uh, with actual drivers in actual cars on actual tarmac. Uh, but not with carburettors, Nick. Uh, they've been gone for eight years. Uh, the Real Heroes 400 took place at Darlington. and A lot of people from Stockton on Tees went there for a day out, apparently. And no one went there. Uh, <laughs> it marked the 50th career for Kevin Harvick. Let's career see what he had win. to say. F- yeah, 50th career win for Kevin Harvick. Not okay. his 50th career. That would be ridiculous. Well, when you say those, <laughs> when you say those two names, obviously they, they're a, a huge part of us uh, who help build this sport. And obviously Hall of Famers. And, it's, you know, it's just an honour to, to have your, your name next to them. So, you know, for it's a little bit um, surreal, I guess you'd say, because of the fact that I you don't really like it things. Um, but, you know, it would be disrespectful uh, to not give those guys credit for, for what they do and, and, you know, what a huge honor it is to, to have my name sitting next to them. So I've been fortunate, um, you know, especially since I've, I've come to Stuart Haas Racing. This was 27 wins together with this group of guys, and I think that experience – Today, uh, you know, going into our seventh year here uh, has really paid off, you know, in, in getting our car right, making adjustments on our car, um, you know, rebounding from the adversity of a bad pit stop and all the things that, that came with the day uh, turned into a race winning day. And, and that says a lot about the experience of our team, uh, the depth that we have, um, you know, with everything that Gene and Tony give us. It's, it's just been a lot of fun to, to drive fast race cars and, and you know, to, to have your name next to those guys goes to show you how fortunate I am to be able to, to ride in those fast race cars, and, and uh, we've been able to capitalize on a few. The first thing I want to do is just thank everybody from NASCAR, uh, all the teams, and, and the whole industry for getting us back on the racetrack. I think everybody in this garage is, is so excited to be here. I was up at 6 o'clock pacing around my porch this morning, you know, trying to uh, trying to decide when I was going to leave. So uh, I was excited to get back in the car. Uh, today was just a, a well-executed day. We were fortunate, to, uh, you know, we had the, the first pit stall, kept our track position all day, and, and were able to, um, you know, have a, a good bushlight forward and have good restarts and do everything we needed to do to to keep our track position. And, and in the end, that was that was the key for us. Uh, we had a fast car, but um, you know, staying out front was was um, was the key to the equation. The weirdest part of the day for me was getting out of the car and not hearing anybody cheering. You know, I think as as you look that. The, the part in the car was was really not that much because you know when the, the engines are running and things are running, it's you know you're just in your own little world in the car. Um, you know, look, I, I I've been around this deal for a long time. This is not like anything I've ever experienced, but I can tell you that it's very similar to you know coming back after 9/11. Um, but that day had you know just 100,000 fans in the stands, and, and now you have no fans. So. The practice and in the car part are, are something that we can all figure out. 
the part of, of, of not having any fans in the infield for, for me that kind of took some of that enthusiasm of, of the win away just because of the fact that you weren't able to celebrate with the, with the crowd. And, and so for me, that was, that was really awkward because I feed off of that stuff and, and enjoy those, those types of moments. And, and, you know, I, for, for me, didn't really know what to say after the race because it's just a, such a unique situation that, that we're in. Kevin Harvick there. Well, uh, Talk, Talking on a can and a piece of string, apparently. Well, that's what social distancing does to NASCAR. Uh, well, they haven't worked out how to get a proper connection yet. They, they all had to do it on Zoom with uh, all the uh, international media. Um, never mind. Uh, Shay Adam is with us. Nick Damon's with us. Declan Brennan is with us. We haven't said good evening yet to Declan. Good evening, Declan. Good evening. I, I would particularly like to say hello to uh, to uh, the king of nominative determinism, uh, David Rally. David Rally, listening tonight. Good lad. I'm I'm genuinely delighted by that. That we have a listener called David Rally. He's really into That's hill fun. climbs, apparently. Yeah. Oh, what's that? <laughs> uh, no, he's not Tragedy. a man with with no interest in the sport whatsoever. Yes. Uh, and Keith Auto Test will be Keith Auto Test is joining us next week, and Steve Race. There's a, a reference for the teenagers there. So anyway, sorry. Yeah, carry on. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, let's start with Shay. Hello. So what? It, uh, I know you didn't see it at the weekend, um, and I have to say neither did I because it was on a channel that I don't pay for, and there hasn't even mm. been any any. Uh, highlight shows other than on that same channel that I don't pay for which is very unusual they normally have it on their free to air service so I didn't see anything of the race but clearly it made a bit of a splash here it got fantastic ratings that's one thing that can't be denied despite the fact that neither you nor I actually tuned into it um no it it, for all intents and purposes served the purpose it proved that uh, people can go back to racing and be respectful of one another maintaining the distance that's required. They did a full piece that I did see, uh, thanks to Twitter, on the way that it was broadcast from the track, from Charlotte, and from Los Angeles, how they kept everybody very much separate. It seemed to be a successful weekend, although poor Ricky Stenhouse Jr. made it a corner and a half before he managed to crash, so that wasn't too good. Um, But it it scratched the itch for a lot of people, and thankfully they don't have to wait too much longer before NASCAR does it all over again. In theory. Well, you say that. <laughs> well, they should have been uh, doing it last be, night, shouldn't they? Going to have been rained off again. Yeah. The Xfinity series was supposed to make their return last night again at Darlington. It was rained out. And at six o'clock tonight, which is an hour following the end of this show, they're going to try and race at Darlington. And I say try because there's flash flooding in the area. So the storm that postponed the race from yesterday is continuing to circulate over the area. Unfortunately, the weather looks pretty bad for tomorrow, too, which is the sort of uh, backup plan. (laughs) Arthur or something, isn't it? Uh, It's the first tropical storm of the season, yeah, which is also another worrying thing. We're in May right now, May 20th. Hurricane season starts June 1st. So we're not supposed to be dealing with this right now. But in any case, they've said if the race doesn't run today, it will run tomorrow. They will try to run it tomorrow Uh, at about seven o'clock at night was the initial green flag time that I saw. But the Xfinity race has already been reassigned to noon. 
So that means that they're going to be running two series in the same track on the same day, which was everything they were trying to avoid in the first place with this whole social distancing principle. They wanted to only have one paddock in a racetrack at a time. And of course, they're going to be running at Charlotte Motor Speedway this coming weekend, trucks, Xfinity and the Cup Series. So they don't really have a lot of wiggle room. It looks like two of their first three races back might just get canceled. Declan Brennan, uh, in terms of the TV audience, it wasn't the only game in town at the weekend. There was some uh, golf uh, on at the weekend. Uh, some there, tennis on, apparently. There, there was some tennis on. Uh, there was some UFC as well. Uh, the the audience, the TV audience for NASCAR was very good indeed. What very do we put, good. What do we put that down to? Just the first one back? Have they actually translated some of the younger fans that they weren't getting before, but they seem to get for their esports into watching the actual racing? Or was it something else? No. Uh, if you... If you just think about it, people have nothing to do but watch telly and they want something live. Uh, people watched it because it was on the same way as they watch. I haven't seen the golf figures and I'll have to get them. I'm, I'm, I am led to believe. Uh, about 2.2 mil, I think. Yeah, little, little underwhelming and a bit of a dud from what I'm told from, from I, friends I watched of mine who are big golf fans. I watched a bit yeah. of that and I enjoyed it. And there was a lot about that that I really quite liked because it was something different with them yes. carrying that own. Uh, clubs with them talking to each other and of course the Seminole course you don't normally get to see uh, and it's one of the great courses so I was quite interested uh, in that but anyway I, I digress move on go back well, to the NASCAR 6. audience 6.323 million watched the race uh, that's 3.7% of the people who were watching television um, again they, they've got nothing else to watch it's the largest audience for any sport uh since the Daytona 500, because of course the Daytona 500 uh, came in and around the time when things started to shut down, when when it became obvious that there wasn't, there we weren't going to have uh, NBA basketball or or, uh, or or hockey or or any of those things, because uh, we'd been in the middle of those playoffs now, and we'd have big audiences for, particularly for the NBA playoffs. But it's a great audience. It's the best audience NASCAR uh, have had in a, in a long time. And if you think about, just as an example, in the in the UK, BT had the Bundesliga game on, and Bundesliga, all of them, all of them yeah, yeah. Uh, Fox had that in the states, and uh, Fox got a really good number for that. And in the UK, I believe the UK audience was five hundred and seventy-five percent higher than had been for any other Bundesliga game. So oh, it, it, Then they made a big thing about it. They made a big thing yeah. about it. Uh, and, in, and, in, and in fairness, I watched a bit of the Bundesliga at the time live because it was on. I watched some of the replays actually today whilst I was doing a bit of work this morning. Uh, and uh, football, soccer without a crowd just doesn't work at all. It's but awful. I, but yeah, that, I, I absolutely would agree with that, uh, unless you go to Korea where they fill the uh, uh, half the, the stadium was, with the, Oh, dolls by accident. Yeah. Yes, there were only twenty. <laughs> in fairness, there was only twenty. Um, the golf didn't no, matter. Just, that there was... John, John, I just want to get to the point. Sorry, uh, where the 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 point being that this is a nation desperately loves sport. They will watch. Uh, there there were very few choices to watch, but also there's now as the gambling uh, and Tim will. We'll probably want to jump off the back of this in a minute with a new story that he sent us. As things change with regards to gambling and uh, and the laws are loosening up everywhere, 
uh, you're absolutely seeing more and more people doing it and they're needing content and things, legitimate things to bet on. And that will obviously have driven this audience. The fact that people had stuff they could bet on and they could watch in real time yeah. and see how their investment was doing. So I, I absolutely believe that uh, the, the, the general upturn and, and the, the change in, in sports betting culture in the United States will have something to do with, with particularly this weekend with the audience being as large as it was with nothing else in its way. And Nick, uh, they went into this race with no practice, no qualifying. Uh, how did that go? Well, it seemed to, to go really well. No one threw it in the wall straight away, but it did seem to um, it benefit. It took the... a lap and three quarters for that to happen. Yes, but, but I mean, is, in a, is Darlington. Darlington is an absolutely a monster of a racetrack. It's a hard yeah. place to go with no practice. There was but, one driver who'd never raced there before. Oh God, no, it's really? just go left, just go left, just go left. You know, it's not like it's not like turning up the Nurburgring, never having raced there, is it? Really? Which way does it go? It goes left, mate. It's fine. Then right, <laughs> then left, then right, then left, then left, then right. You're talking then right. about Lady in Black here. I'm, I'm not having anything bad said against Dar- Darlington. Is a is a tough, tough, tough uh, track to to master. Uh, here's, um, here's, but, here's what Alan I mean, Rosser. Dar- Darlington's is, a tough place altogether. There's a nightclub there called the In and Out Club, which is quite horrific on yeah, a Friday. I agree. Uh, old, old, uh, old Quaker Town, of course. Um, th- this is what Alan Prosser's just said. Add spectatorment. That's Dalek Nantes we're talking about, by the way. Enjoyed watching the NASCAR a bit more than normally because of the lack of interruption from the pit lane. Good old-fashioned racing commentary and useful information from the pits. Interesting point at Speculatement. If you'd like to add to that, uh, Nick, turning up and doing no practice and getting straight into it. I mean, in some ways, that puts the emphasis back on the drivers, doesn't it? Well, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a. It's the teams that have got a good historical setup because the cars haven't changed much from year to year, and it is about drivers who can adapt, who can also uh, work out what to be done on the fly with the cars as they move. Because there are amendments you can make within the pit stop. So, yeah, I think it absolutely plays into the experience. It's hardly surprising that a man who's won many, many races despite being retired for a while can come back and do so well. Tim? And, of course, the other thing is that the drivers uh, weren't allowed to mix with the teams um, pre-race. So the teams prepare the car, they leave it in the pit lane, the driver gets in, one person's allowed to check his seatbelt, and then they start racing. Mm. What if you get in the wrong car? Sorry, say again, Nick? What if you get in the wrong car? You know, and suddenly you're driving, oh, I'm down, in Carl Bush's car. You're not, you're not allowed yeah. to talk to people. It's not like you've got to have a blindfold on, mate. Really. No. Uh, yeah, you look down and see whatever sponsor's on your chest and then see whatever car has that same sponsor there and then you, you get in. There you go. Uh, you don't need all these handlers. No, absolutely yeah. not. I'd spec your team, please. Uh, NASCAR started at the weekend, uh, possibly a race this evening. As well, the big question, how hard should we be trying? Should we be trying at all to get sport, and particularly motorsport, restarted? Alex Orkin says, uh, from a jobs, business, engineering, development perspective, in the UK with five, uh, with sorry, with 5,000 companies globally and a £5 billion turnover, there's no, there is a strong argument to reinvigorate the whole industry. From an entertainment perspective, value added is higher. Motors madmen, not just motorsport, but all industries. Corona's going to be with us for some time. So the sooner we find ways of working within its constraints, the less likely those in all industries will have their livelihoods destroyed. That's a really good point, uh, actually. 
hundreds of support people around uh, at the Real Heroes 500. Says Tommy this and Tommy that. Not a single incident of the zombie apocalypse. Well, not yet. It's going to take two weeks before they all start, uh, their heads all start falling off. Uh, So, yes, he says, motorsports needs to reopen, clearly. Uh, Okay, great. No, Uh, No zombie apocalypse, of course. No, the groundsmen uh, are uh, very particular about that, Dex. Not, not letting <laughs> zombies into the uh, course. Uh, as we Declan... won't know for, for weeks whether it's had any effect whatsoever, <laughs> of course. That's the problem. And then we won't know whether it was uh, Darlington or Charlotte. Well, yes, fair point. Uh, Chris Suku, I'll just, just, just the last one of this bit before you move on. Um, whilst we're all united by the love of motorsport, whether we work or support it, the racing family uh, and its ecosystem, it sets the wrong precedent that F1 or racing is seen to operate to a freer set of uh, regulations or laws. The virus is deadly and may lead people, some people to poor decisions. Okay, thank you. Uh, are they at, uh, at Specutainment, hashtag RSLBQ for the big question tonight. Tim, where to next? Uh, We're going to the story that Declan uh, almost talked about earlier, which is that NASCAR have signed a uh, contract uh, with IMG Arena, the sports betting service and content hub, uh, to license official assets to create a virtual sports betting game that replicates some of NASCAR's most iconic tracks, including Daytona, Talladega and Watkins Glen. Declan. Don't know anything at all about this other than uh, it's just an additional layer on top of you may remember last year they signed an agreement with uh, and i'm going to get their name wrong but it's again it's nominative determinism a company called something like uh, really fantastic statistics or i can't I, I, tim will pull the press release out but the name is not far off we or, get the numbers we, right all the time Doc. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but basically they, they signed a deal last year uh an exclusive deal with a business who manage the data flow effectively who will control and manage the exclusive data flow uh, to betting organizations so that somebody effectively is now in control of uh, their minute by minute betting their their fastest laps their uh, lap leaders etc etc so they're they are they are clearly looking to take every aspect to own as much as they can every aspect of uh, the gambling opportunities yep. that are rolling out slowly. Uh, I don't know much about about this one in particular. I haven't had a chance to uh, to to dive down uh, further into this. But uh, I mean, to be fair, they yeah. only sent the press release out an hour and twenty minutes ago. So. Is there an opportunity here, Dex? And forgive me for not knowing this, but I really don't know this. By licensing that effectively, and I, I sort of put licensing in in inverted commas there do they get a cut out of it is it potentially an income line for the series in this case nascar but for any series who does quote unquote an official sports book or an official betting partner well there this is the this is the 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 really important question so that is looks like it's some sort of virtual game Uh, and again i'm I'm gonna have to look into it in a bit more detail that it obviously is because because ultimately john the issue that all organizations like this have is that you can clearly create odds without owning the property and therefore nascar is looking for ways to take ownership and secure because they don't make any money off if william hill post odds for the next nascar race nascar don't make any money off that 
Uh, and this is this is the thing that's always baffled it's me. It's not with... like the tort at the uh, at the race course where no, the percentage no, it isn't. goes back into horse racing. It's Correct. Not, and there's not like a betting levy, see above answer. So uh, th- at that point, the betting industry, the gambling industry, is is making money from all of these other sports and not necessarily putting anything back into it unless they're putting in some sponsorship money somewhere. Well, this is this is the thing. So, so back to last year's, and, I, and again, I really wish I had, the, had the, the the release in front of me. But last year they announced that this specifically for that reason, it's to create official products that have yeah. more deep. Like for example, they're looking for what they're going to do is they're going to create a, a, a whole line of betting opportunities, even lap to lap, about over and under on how fast a, a car can go, except you know stuff like that, micro stuff that people how can many be hours doing before the running. lane stops. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Over and under on the raindrops on the front straight. Yeah, they, uh, NASCAR and the Met Office have signed a, uh, a sponsorship. Uh, uh, France uh, Meteor will be in there like the clappers, <laughs> but you can't trust any of their data, so it would be useless for betting. But this is the thing: is that like they are they are they are literally uh, having to come up with ways to to ring fence as much opportunity as possible to to maximise. Uh, the revenue from betting which is it will be enormous and the the thing from my perspective is i just find it amazing because at the nfl's doing the same they're all doing the same thing but i genuinely believe they've all overestimated what their revenues will be because ultimately people are betting on results that are public domain and i just don't see how anybody uh, uh nascar particularly are going to uh, uh, to get a big chunk of revenue when there are established age, uh, betting companies already out there who are just who can set odds. You know, all of them can set odds the same way and do. You know, so I I struggle with the idea that uh, that uh, NASCAR are going to be able. They'll do it, of course. They will. They will. They will create every possible opportunity to uh, to find official ways to bet with them that you can't do with anybody else. But I'm I am very dubious. Very dubious. One final point, Tim. Uh, one of the side uh, deals attached to this deal is that 460 bookmakers around the world will now be able to stream NASCAR live on their websites. Ah. Ah. So you don't need to subscribe to that channel that you don't subscribe to anymore. John. No, you just need to have 10, probably $10. 10 pence in, in your in, uh, betting yeah, in account. Your, in your betting account. And that's something that's happening. Uh, you probably, Tim, can speak more about this because that happens with some live sports in europe isn't that right where yes. there, there are yes. feeds uh, yeah, in so europe you... and asia so you can watch uh live football as in soccer uh basketball handball tennis golf kabaddi um all sorts of things are all available uh to stream live that is very through the betting sites and in some countries um and i think it now applies to the whole of the eu they can't make you have um, money in your account in order to access streams. You've, oh, really? you've got to be offered uh, the ability to have the stream before you part with any money. Mm. Uh, Eve Hewitt put us on to something uh, interesting earlier, uh, which is a Twitter account called Room Rater. Oh, yes. Uh, and their Twitter description is, We rate Skype rooms and Zoom rooms too. Mm. Uh, so they basically look at people who are doing Skype calls or Zoom calls and look at what's in the background. And Adele Hanot Jr. Uh, appeared on uh, Lunch Talk Live on uh, uh, 
Monday and uh, from his office. And uh, in the background, he has a model of Elvis. He has a model Airstream trailer. He has a lava lamp. He has a Redskins helmet. Are we allowed to say Redskins? Is that culturally appropriate? Yeah. Oh, sadly, yeah. yes. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. he, has, he has one of his own uh, cars. Um, that must be a big shelf if he's got a car parked on there. It, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a scale model. Oh, okay. The sort of thing that Nick Damon plays with. Uh, <laughs> Pardon? <laughs> I just feared it you up in time. Anyway, what was the so what was the the room? Anyway, he only got seven out of ten. Well, if it had been the real Elvis, he'd have got ten out of ten. I think. I think. I think. I think he'd, he'd not be able than, to be in the room. He did better than Lindsey Graham got. That's all I'll say. Oh, having yeah. just quickly scrolled through there. <laughs> yes, let's let, let's move on. Uh, 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 <laughs> it's midweek motorsport. Uh, series fifteen, episode twenty, second half of the program tonight on the day. Sadly, last year when. Uh, Nicky Lauder died. We'll be uh, having a little tribute to Nicky's career and also the immense amount of success he had after his racing career as well with a special big interview at nine o'clock and then Nick Damon back with us in the second half as well. Our big question tonight, how hard should motorsport be pushing to get cars back on track? Uh, Johannes Guaglica said how hard is it allowed to push the legal framework how hard can it push and use its leverage and how hard does it want to push so it doesn't fall out of favour with officialdom I say the industry the motorsport industry is hostage to the general situation like so many others wise words Johannes has often can I uh, speak as uh, somebody who who is uh, having to make decisions about travel over the next few weeks Mm. Uh, I am a I am not traveling to uh, the races in Florida, uh, the IMSA races, uh, for a couple of reasons. But one of them is because uh, I, I don't really fancy traveling by plane to a, yep. a, a state that recently uh, fired uh, one of its civil servants for not doctoring its uh, <laughs> its coronavirus figures. So uh, I'm, and there are, I'm sure there's a lot of people. I'm, I'm in some cases as a PR and com- a commercial person and with no fans and probably no guests and uh, no sponsors there I'm I'm not quite, quite not quite surplus to requirements but I'm certainly it's not essential I, that you're there not, I'm it? not essential yeah no. so it's easy for me to make that decision but I feel bad for the people who are who 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 aren't in that position who are effectively being forced to go to Florida well for, uh, for two races in, it, in this in this space of two weeks in July here's a, a tweet on that from um, from Rob says motorsport should be pushing not just from somebody who works in the sport but the industry is real money real people jog jobs etc for far more than just sport lots to be said for the positive mental health attitude sport gives to people here's the other side of that which Declan was talking about Kevin Payne Kevin thanks for this on the big question tonight really difficult there are a lot of people who rely on income from motorsport but I'm concerned about all the folks in orange the marshals or white in the states who have to be there and make it happen uh, for free who don't get paid for it and we heard Stuart Pringle uh, from Silverstone talking a couple of weeks ago, I think it was. Was it last week or was it two weeks last ago? Last week. Last week, yeah. Uh, about um, getting Grand Prix back to Silverstone. We'll be talking about that. I've been talking with a number of people in the industry about the insurance implications, whether whether there'll be any kind of, of insurance, whether it will invalidate travel insurance, for, exa- 
for exactly the reason that Dex saying. Uh, final one on this from me before I go back to Tim. Will Miss Motor Racing dreadfully says Dave. Uh, how dangerous, but we must respect how dangerous the, the virus is. Uh, if, and a big if, racing can be done while acknowledging the needs to keep staff, marshals, drivers, pit crew, etc. safe, naturally, without a crowd, it must be done slowly, carefully, and the results must be examined. Take a proper data-driven view, is what Dave says on that. Tim, one more point from you. Uh, I've just been scrolling through Roomrater and uh, found Roger Waters... Right. has got 9 out of 10, Excellent. even though his bit background is a recording studio where everything is switched off. Well, he's saving electricity there. <laughs> he's doing a live performance at the time. Well, clearly not. Really isn't. Uh, it's Midweek Motorsport. Uh, you've, we've got... Uh, we've got Shay Adam on the line. We've got Shay I think we can probably see Tarata Dex. Oh, no, actually, we're better not, because we're going to talk about IMSA next. We are. Uh, and IMSA on Friday in a, a phone call to their stakeholders, she announced a, a, another revision to their calendar and they're working very hard to make this happen. John Doonan, president of IMSA, very clear to say, as we've been reporting with many series over the last few weeks, that everything's provisional until they can ex- actually get something done. But what we have got now is a distinctively different looking calendar uh, in terms of of the venues and the order in which they're going to pop up uh, but trying to get pretty much the same number of events off for at least the WeatherTech Championship. Yeah um, and first off happy day after birthday to uh, Mr. Doonan so yeah. uh, that was pretty good for him yesterday. Um, it's something interesting that I've just been sort of sitting here pondering so we've lost Long Beach, Belle Isle and Canadian Tire Motorsport Park those will not be on the 2020 calendar. The first two we knew about the last one we feared the worst, and now it's true. No Timbits this year, unfortunately. But the border being closed, it's just not feasible. You can still in buy them in the U.S., Shay. Yeah, we can get them. There are loads the of Tim Hortons. I know. There's one near Mid-Ohio at the hotel we stay at. So end of September, that will most likely be happening. Um, and in all fairness, interest- they taste like every other bit of dough you'll get anywhere else. There's the, 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 pretending they're uh, they're good just because they're north of the border is... Uh, and, uh, sorry, <laughs> I know you're Canadian. This, there's nothing special about them. They're just mini bits them. of doughnuts. Yeah. Fine. May I continue? Now yes, that you've insulted my little sugary yeah. happiness. Um, so we do go to Florida for the first two rounds coming back. As Declan said, Daytona, July 3rd and 4th. That's uh, 4th of July weekend in Daytona means the first time that that's happened since the Grand Am days. But that is only DPI, GTLM and GTD. So three series, uh, three classes running there, one series. That's it. Two weeks later, go off to Sebring for another two hour and 40 minute race where we get everybody from WeatherTech back and Pilot Challenge, and the LMP3 cars. So that will be a busier weekend. Then we go to the previously scheduled bit about Road America. Mm. But instead of it just being WeatherTech Pilot Challenge, we also throw in LMP3, and GT3 Cup Challenge makes their series debut for the season on the final weekend of July. So that's going to be a big change Super Trofeo runs at Road America the following weekend under the NASCAR umbrella. So it's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out. But it means that two of our three championships don't actually come back. They they don't start 2020 until the eighth month of the year. 
So that's a big change. Yeah. Uh, Um, And and clashes with IndyCar, question mark? uh, We have a few clashes with IndyCar this year. They run at the road course the July 4th weekend. So that one will not happen. You won't be able to have drivers doing both uh, who run in DPI, GTLM, or GTD. So that would potentially affect Felipe Nasser. Um, can't think of anyone else that it would bug for that one. Yeah. The Sebring weekend, IndyCar has a double header at o- Iowa, which is an oval. When we are at VIR, they are at Indianapolis for the Indy 500. Yep. And then when we are at Watkins Glen, they are at Indy for the road course. So there are several clashes with IndyCar this year. It's going to happen, uh, though. It, it, I don't think there's anything uh, you know you can do uh, about that. Agree. Um, the, the first couple of events, you've said, have got limited uh series there just the uh just the weather tech series um uh, and the other the other supports aren't brought in the development series aren't brought in till later but we are going to have some pretty busy weekends when that all happens and that that's got to assume sheer that some of the social distancing uh, and, and fans as well plan for later on the season. So that's that's assuming that some of the social distancing has been removed by then. Um, it is, but it's also just the fact that we were just talking about limited weekends means that you sort of have to squeeze everything in when you've got the track and you've got these series that you've already got people signed up for them. You've got people promised Road America, then VIR, then WeatherTech Race by Laguna Seca, Mid-Ohio, Watkins Glen, and Petit Le Mans, all of those weekends have four or more series running on that yeah. single weekend. GTLM is running every single weekend, as is GTD. It doesn't actually mean an extra race for GTLM, though, because they lost Belle Isle with no Detroit, but we've lost a round with no... We've basically taken three races that we've lost and we've added two, one at Daytona with the two hour and 40 minutes, one at Sebring with the two hour and 40 minutes. But both of those are longer running times than the 100 minutes on the streets of Belle Isle or the streets of Long Beach. Yeah. So you're looking at less crash damage money potentially spent in terms of a budget. But you're also looking at longer run times on the engines, the brakes, all the other supplementary components. Right. Well, let's we, let's talk. Let's talk about budget there, because you bring up a decent point. Declan, uh, the sprint series that was uh, introduced by IMSA to universal acclaim. It's exactly what the GT Daytona teams wanted. They didn't have to sign up uh, for the full season. They didn't have to sign up for the longer races. It was a good business opportunity. But taking that uh, as their first event to Daytona does have cost implications. Yep. Now they need Daytona gearing slash transmission slash gearbox. Uh, And... If you uh, are a team like ours, for example, who didn't do Daytona and is not doing uh, right now, has no uh, commitment to the long races. We're just doing the sprint series. Uh, Suddenly you're going to a venue uh, where you need significantly different uh, gearing. And And no chance to test that either as well, of course. No, and also, by the way, uh, uh, another point not being mentioned is the likelihood is that these are going to be uh, compacted events yes, as well. A yeah. day and a half, potentially, we're looking at. A Friday in, Saturday out. We're uh, uh, load in Friday, test and qualify race Saturday and out Sunday because uh, 
would you believe uh, the IMSA weekend at Daytona is a uh, sharing the bill with Chump Car? Because Chump Car had the track that weekend. <laughs> Excellent. Which is kind of remarkable because it's if you think Daytona July Fourth, John, as as you and I well know, having I think been we there, went you to normally... the last one. I think we went <laughs> to the no, no, seriously. I think we went to the last Paul Revere two fifty. I think was that two thousand and nine. I think that was the last time. Three, John. Was it that long ago? <gasps> it was the hot. It was the it was the second Gulf War was going on at the time. It was two thousand and three. No, I was in the second uh, Gulf War, so it can't have been there. <laughs> Uh, you were back, I think. I or you have haven't ju- gone. No, I must have just come back. Uh, is the jump car still there? I presume it's been bumped. Sunday. R- running on the Sunday. Oh, really? So it's yeah. in and out. So it's in Friday and out Saturday night for the for the WeatherTech guys. Yeah. So they're, they're, uh, I am led to believe that the plan is to uh, try and uh, do something similar at a lot of the events. So basically take days, crew days, off the events yeah. if possible because that is a, a significant uh, opportunity to save money for crew by by reducing hotel days uh, where at all possible so and i know that they are looking at that too so well we wait to find out because it's going to be a waiting game july the 4th is the date i suspect that we we won't get a go or no go until probably a month before, possibly even closer to that, because things can change so uh, quickly. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. The big question tonight, how hard and how and what should motorsport be doing to get back, if if anything? Tom Firth, at Specutainment, hearing RSLBQ for big question. I feel better about pushing to be back in, say, July to August. If other sports come back in June, it seems to be the plan for soccer. It's better not to be the outlier. Complex, though, because is it a need or a want? I want it back badly for sure, but do many need it? Hmm. Good question. Uh, Dave saying, uh, talking about what Detlin was talking about, betting in NASCAR, given the huge sums of money in race betting and how much that might be worth. We've seen what happened in cricket, and I worry that racing might be changed, i.e., deliberately causing a yellow to leverage in race betting opportunities. Think of the no-ball scandals that we had in cricket. It's a good point, Dave. Uh, and, you know, betting syndicates get involved in, in such like. Back to the big question. Right turn lover, RTL. Hello, mate. Every company, every industry has a social responsibility not to worsen the spread of the pandemic. That has to be the baseline, in my opinion, he says. Mm, right. Uh, I, and... Uh, I agree. And he says I, on a related rela- rela- note, is Helmut Markle trying to kill the Austrian Grand Prix by spouting his idea of making them spectator events and bringing in 30,000 Dutch fans? Or is he just balmy beyond belief? Declan? Well, and I think uh, th- there's so many good points being raised there. But the broad point, John, is simply is that it is the one that, that everybody is battling with, whether you're involved in motorsport or not, is whether... Uh, it makes any sense commercially, economically to come back uh, while we're still in a position where we we may have another spike. For, as an example, uh, restrictions have been significantly eased in places like Texas, and Texas is seeing spikes again and is expected over the next two weeks to see a s- significant spikes in uh, in cases. Uh, places like Virginia and Georgia have, have opened things up. And, uh, and again, uh, you've got to monitor them closely. I'm... It's re- it's such a, I I I feel 
I feel badly for everybody involved who has to make the tough decisions. I don't have to make the decision. I no. just have to decide. I just have to say to my boss whether I think I'll go or not and uh, and work out how to best manage from home. How do you do? And I was going to ask you the question because it obviously, from your perspective, what do you do? We have to wait and find in a out. situation like this. We yeah. Just, we just have to wait and find out. We're, you know, we're... we're slaves to the the situation uh, keep your uh, answers coming into that question not that there is a proper answer or a real answer or a right answer or indeed even a wrong answer so your thoughts on the big question tonight at Specutainment hashtag RSLBQ how hard should Motorsport be even trying at all to get back right now until we have a vaccine till we can have fans back. There are people like Glickenhouse saying that they don't want to do these Geistrennen, the ghost races at the Nürburgring. Although, in fairness, their minds are made up anyway, or it's a moot point for them because they can't travel at the moment anyway. So, how hard should we be trying? At uh, Specutainment, hashtag RSLBQ. Dex, thanks for joining us tonight, mate. It's always a pleasure. Speak to you soon. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I'm looking forward to listening to myself at 10 o'clock. I will be talking about that a bit later <laughs> on. I was getting going to get shot at you first before that. <laughs> All right, mate. Take, your All right, take care. Cheers, Bye. mate. Joining us uh, from Massachusetts. Uh, Tim, let's move on to... Uh, We're going to move to supercars. Is V8 it still Virgin Australia now. supercars? Uh, Virgin, supercars? Virgin Australia brackets in administration, close brackets, supercars. Mm. No, it's not. <laughs> it's just called V8 supercars. Has they really changed the name of the championship? Yes, they've dropped the title sponsor. Okay. Because kind of they. Well, I suppose they legally. haven't started the season, have they? So yes, they have started no, they the did. season. They raced they at Adelaide. Oh, of course they you did. You watched it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but the rest of the season. It was a long time ago. It was. It was in February. The rest of the season uh, is going to look very different. Right. Because uh, they've released a new calendar. Uh, with a season finale at Bathurst on the Bathurst 12 Hours weekend, Shay. Yeah, which is potentially very exciting if that does come through. Um, if we're allowed to travel again by that point, if we get to cover the race again, there's a lot of ifs at that point. Um, but They'll just have plenty back... of people there if supercars are there. We'll be surplus to require You certainly won't be able to go to Australia. No. They're not letting foreigners in. Not yet, but, you know, maybe by February. Maybe. Just... You know, keep hoping and praying that one day life goes back to normal. I, I'm um, not sure. I'll, I'll be honest with you about yeah. that. I'm not sure it's a good thing for either of the championships. And I'll tell you why. Because the 12 hours has its own unique uh, atmosphere and its own character. And you know, Shea, from being down there, yeah. that quite a lot of the people who go there, specifically go there to that event, having as they would say, and I'm using their words here, being driven away from Bathurst and the supercars race by the bad-behaving supercar fans, which seem more in evidence at, at the mountain than they do anywhere else. And I think it will seriously impact the 12-hour audience, the people who are sports car fans. And depending on which way they have it, if they have the 12 hours on Sunday, then I can see half the audience will have left by then because they won't yeah. be interested in it. No, and I, I, I can see that, and I hear what you're saying, too. Um, part of what I think a lot of the 12-hour fans will be optimistic about is that this is not the 1,000. The 1,000 is still in October. This is a second race during the oh, 2020, yeah. 2021 season for supercars at the mountain. So maybe, potentially, all the partiers come out and get their jollies in October, and then 
don't want to take another weekend in the middle slash end of summer as it is down there yeah, uh, for this awesome. weekend. But but the first thing that I thought when I saw that announcement was, oh, man, that means that the, the GT cars are going to be housed in the white tents back in the paddock. Yes. Because the garage space is going to be taken up, of course, by the supercars. Well, I don't think you can run an endurance team from outside no. the tents because, well, I suppose you could. You just have to make sure that you've got flatbeds everywhere so that if somebody comes in damaged because they won't be able to push them. Well, hang on. No, how it's, do you do a brake change well, in if, the 12-hour? Well, if the supercars have gone on Saturday, if they if they race on Saturday afternoon... <sighs> move could, all the stuff down overnight. You could move all the stuff down overnight and set up your garage oh. overnight. Otherwise, you're going to have to have the cars driving round the back of the paddock and re yeah. you could rehash the paddock so that it was you had the GTs directly behind the garages and they could just drive straight through. Jack Martin's tweeted, I've always prepared the twelve hour audience. I've been going to the supercar one thousand race since I was five years old. Uh, but the 12 hours, a whole new vibe. The big issue about having the 12 hour and supercar sharing the same weekend will be tickets and camping. Who do you mm. give camping priority to? And well, it would have well, put the price. Assuming it's not behind closed doors. Yeah, good point. Uh, it's it is a totally new, complex situation to try and deal with, and it's honestly making a lot of headaches for a lot of people that normally wouldn't have to even think about this. How do you? process having two very different championships running on track at the same time when they both are going to want the majority of the track time there's five practice sessions for the bathers 12 hour Correct. as is now and then you throw in supercars you're, you're not going to have any other support no, series being no. able to run and you're going to have cars on track all the time it's going to be wild yeah that there will i can't say there being any other uh cars uh, on track it, it's I, I can't see the 12 hours going ahead because if they've lost 70 drivers which they will do if they're not allowing anyone at, from overseas apart from new zealand yeah then yeah. And then the you've lost those teams and drivers no, no i absolutely agree and it, yeah. and that you know the uh it's it's part of this whole big question that we're having tonight it's far easier for national series like nascar uh, IMSA to a certain extent, although by IMSA's own uh, admission, 40% of their paddock it comes from outside the US. And that's yeah, 40 12 per- cars. 12 cars right now, John, could run today if they were allowed to because both of their drivers live in the US. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> 12 cars in weather. Out of 38, yes. Only 12 39, cars. 39, sorry. Only 12 cars where both drivers live in the U.S. And you're not taking into account any support staff that might be involved no. in running the other cars as well. So for nope, example, strictly the nut behind the wheel. Yeah. So, for example, the BMWs have a bunch of people coming over from Germany. Now, I suppose they could come over and stay for six months, providing they've got the requisite visa, of course. Uh, and the visa departments are all closed at the moment. But, okay. Um, but... BMW is a perfect example, though, John, because neither one of those cars has both their drivers living in the U.S. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> no okay. one in GTLM, actually. I, I saw Stefan Wilson tweeting the other day, if anybody needs someone there in the U.S. In the US who's resident in the U.S., uh, he's, he's available. I think he might be <laughs> getting a call or two. My point being that it's He, he all... tweeted the same thing with IndyCar at St. Pete, though. Well, and, uh smart with that didn't Um, get any offers my point being that it is much easier for national series like imza to 
to a certain extent, although you've pointed out the issues there. But certainly NASCAR uh, in the States, supercars in Australia is is particularly um, true to that region um, to get restarted again. Um, when you talk about things like SROs in the Continental GT series, I mean, talk about the FIA WEC, talk about Le Mans. People coming from literally all over the world. Nürburgring 24, well, all right, you'll lose some people. But even if it was a whole wholly German event or only people who could drive there from mainland Europe, you'd still, even if you lost 50 cars, you'd still have 120 cars starting that race. You might not have the same amount at the sharp end. It's, it's about degree. Uh, it really is about degree rather than anything anything else uh, we'll we'll watch uh, carefully on what goes on with V8 supercars and maybe it's something that Creelsey and the team from on the grid will be talking about tomorrow night it's a bumper on the grid this week as northern territory major events chief tim wattsford joins the show to discuss the work involved in securing their round of the revised 2020 supercars championship it's a revealing chat Tim discusses the challenges of promoting a major event in these troubled times and reveals the real go, no-go timeline for actually confirming the event itself. Then Tickford Racing boss Tim Edwards joins the chat to discuss the shock loss of 23 Red Racing and Will Davison and the short amount of time needed to sign Boost Mobile and former champion James Courtney. He also gives us an update from a supercar's point of view about all the changes going on in the sport. It's a bumper show. Make sure you're listening. 9pm Thursday night UK times only on RS1. Tomorrow night then for that. Uh, Nick Damon here, Adam, Tim Gray still uh, with us. Uh, We will be talking in just a moment about getting racing restarted including formula one which is why nick is here we'll have a hooray from him at the moment that's our big question tonight how hard should motorsport be trying to get going should it even be trying to get going in the current circumstances at specutainment hashtag rslbq the new Motorsport UK measures for the safety of officials are good and clear as a marshal. I think it's OK. It's about the choice for officials here in the UK. Nobody is forcing them to go, says Rob. Serafina, I miss and racing. I imagine we'll everyone in racing misses racing. But the most important thing is the safety of the teams, the drivers and any fans that come along. Uh, so... Yeah, that's reasonable as well. For club-level racing, we were already on the road to reopening with test days starting across MSV tracks and public trap days opening soon here in the UK. But with no spectators and limited team counts in garage, I'll be shocked if in July there is not racing. So expecting Zero Motorsport there, expecting to get started in July. And just responding to the supercars at Bathurst 12 weekends, Dave says it's a bad call for both events to me. The audience for the two events quite different. The GT teams deserve the best facilities for one of the best GT3 races, if not the best GT race in the world. Can't disagree with that. Uh, so we're going to have a bit of F1 for which we must have Nick Damon. Can I just respond Hooray! to that uh, Hello. tweet? Hello. Hooray. You've been listening very patiently. Uh, restarting motorsports, Tim Gray. Uh, I uh, mentioned... Formula One, that's been in the news 
recently. We'll have a, a roundup of Formula One news at the moment, but specifically, Tim, as it regards to restart and racing, that with this uh, idea of doing a couple of races at Silverstone, doing behind closed doors or not behind closed doors, maybe at the Old Osterreich Ring at the at the Red Bull Ring. Yes, we'll be talking about that uh, more in the second hour as well. I just want to uh, respond to something on that last tweet. If we look at Shay's counting method, which is teams that can actually run because they've got either two Australians or three Australians or a mixture of Australians and New Zealand drivers in them, then you've got nine cars in the Bathurst 12 hours. So there's plenty of spare garages for the V8 supercars. Right, true. <laughs> uh, moving on, restarting racing, Tim. Yes, it's uh, second hour. Oh, is it? I'm sorry. Uh, it, You're not it, reading what I'm saying to you. I didn't say that, sorry. Uh, Coming okay. up. Okay. Midweek Motorsport, where John has just 48 seconds to tell you what's coming in the next hour. Uh, we will have more of your answers to the big question. Should motorsport even be thinking about restarting uh, at the moment? And if it should, what measures can or should it be taking? Should we have spectators or not, for example? Uh, Nick Damon will stay with us. We're going to say goodbye to Shea. Now, Nick Damon will be looking at the still-spinning merry-go-round of drivers in Formula One and also he'll be looking at the post-driving career of Nicky Lauda who died one year ago today and for our big interview tonight a very special look at the career of Nicky Lauda here on Midweek Motorsport. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. Just after nine o'clock on a Wednesday, it's time for the big interview, and I'm delighted to welcome to Midweek Motorsport uh, a man who has put together a quite extraordinary book of motor racing history. I'll, I'll, I'll go into more detail in a moment, but first of all, welcome to Midweek Motorsport. John Saltonstall. John, good evening. I, I had to have you on as soon as I read this book. This is Nicky Lauder, his competition history. I want to talk about you, first of all, before we get to the book. In doing my research, I find that your first motor racing meeting was... Uh, at Donington Park at the tender age of 12. Is it true you won those tickets in a competition? I did indeed, yes. There was a, there was a competition that was run by the local newspaper. Um, and I think it was one of these ones where the first person who got the right answer in uh, managed to get the tickets. And we lived not far from the, uh, from the office of the newspaper. So it was literally got the newspaper, thought that'd be a good idea, filled it in, popped it down. And, and the next day, literally got an em- next day or day after, got a, an envelope through the door with the, with the tickets in which was happy days, really, especially as Donington was about eight miles up the road from where I lived. And you hadn't been to a racetrack or a race meeting until then. What do you remember, John, of that first formative and actually quite important motor race that you went to at Donnell? Although it was the first race I'd actually attended, I'd been interested in motor racing for as long as I could remember. Um, I'd been reading sort of books from the library about it for as long as I could read, really, and had uh, sort of seen what bits managed to get shown on the telly in the early 70s. Uh, but the, the race itself was a Formula 2 meeting. There was a shunt right in front of us. Uh, we were sat at Redgate, and uh, there, was, there was a first lap shunt uh, right in front of us on the first corner, and my, and my dad sat there with a the camera in his lap and his mouth open all the way through it. So uh, it was quite an interesting uh, interesting baptism. Was Nicky Lauder involved in that race meeting? 
No, not at all. Um, by, by then, Lauda was pretty well ensconced in Formula One. I, I picked up on Lauda as, a, 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 as somebody who I was interested in around the end, middle, middle end of 1973. He was driving for BRM that year, as you'll know. At the British Grand Prix that year, which was one of the few that did actually make it onto telly, that was the year that uh, Schechter had his uh, famous shunt and took out most of the field at the end of the first lap. So when uh, when the grid reformed, there was a, there was quite a big chunk of empty space in front of Lauda, um, and he rocketed through into its second place very early on and was uh, was ahead of a few people he shouldn't have been ahead of. And although I didn't really know very much about it, the, the commentator was getting quite excited that, that this fellow in the red and white car was was doing things with it that he that he didn't ought to have been. At the end of that year, of course, he moved to Ferrari and I was already aware of Ferrari and the mystique that surrounded it and I, I quite liked these red cars. But I had I had an uncle who was a um he was the guy who ran the uh, distribution center for the local wh smith's magazine wholesale business when they got damaged or returned magazines basically that was a magazine that's cover was knackered so what what harry used to do bless him was he'd tear the cover off autosport magazine and give me the inside and treat it as a as a damaged return so i was already reading autosport by then and i remember at the end of 1970 uh, beginning of 1974 opening a uh, a copy of autosport and they used to have the lovely glossy center spreads in there didn't they and there, there was this lovely picture of uh, of louder in a 312v3 and i just thought she's the most beautiful car i've ever seen in my life um happy days and i was kind of a fan from there on uh so my interest in him really coincided with um, with his rise to prominence in uh, in formula 1 and at that time john and until well, you tell me. That was as a fan. You weren't, and may say still aren't, but I would argue with you if you did, having read this book, a motorsport journalist. You have what most people would call a day job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been nothing more than a fan, although quite, quite very interested in the history of the sport and an avid researcher of various bits of the history of the sport uh, all of my life. But I've spent the last 37 38 years working uh, working in the finance industry um so this has only ever been a hobby on the side of it and, and this project itself has has taken nine years to put together and really got accelerated by by nikki's death last year it was about 98 percent complete by may last year in terms of the writing i got all the photos sourced put on license and then uh, unfortunately he died and at that point, I hadn't got a publisher lined up. There were a few people who knew I was doing it. But with his death, I, I felt quite awkward about it. it. It did feel rather macabre in some ways. Yes. And, and I was almost ready to put it on the shelf. But a few people who knew that I was doing it said, no, you need to, you need to get it finished. So I spoke to to Mark Hughes, the uh, editorial director at, at Evro, because Evro were my kind of publisher of choice, because I, I, li- I liked their production values. I was very impressed by a number of books that they published. Um, I had a chat with Mark and said, basically, I've, I've got this. <laughs> Are you interested? He said, yeah, I'm very interested. I bet Mark uh, jumped at it. It must have been difficult because of, of Nicky's illness and his death. But you said nine years. So what was the catalyst then to originally start this, John? It had grown out of, out of an other project, really. Um, although it's the first book I've had published, it's not the first one that I've had to go at writing. And the previous ones are for, for other reasons, I've never progressed them beyond much of a manuscript stage. As, as you've kind of guessed from reading the book, I'm, I'm a louder fan and have been all my life. But I'd been building little 143rd scale models of all the cars that he'd, um, that he'd raced in his career, built about 150 of these things. In doing that, I'd 
gathered a huge amount of photographs uh, to be able to, to, to do that. And, and a lot of them, obviously, quite obscure photographs because I was building models of obscure cars. And it occurred to me that it would be quite an interesting exercise to put a book together that compiled these photographs, but rather in the way that sort of the Sterling Moss All My Races book that had been mm. done, it, it might be interesting to try and do that particularly because the, the book that, that, that I envisaged in my mind didn't exist, so I thought I might, I'll try and write it. Um, and that's where it grew from. So the, the, the concept was simply to try and report on every single event that he'd ever participated in and to illustrate it with a contemporary photograph. The nine years was simply because it's extremely difficult to find the photographs in some cases and the narrative in more cases. Mm. Um, you know, if you want to know what happened in the 1975 Monaco Grand Prix and find a picture... That's very easy. Yep. If you want to find what happened in the 1968 Badman Lacken Hill Climb and find a picture, that is rather more difficult. There was an awful lot of exploring and trawling through archives and finding the right people um, who might have the stuff that I needed to be able to get you know, to, to, to the original source document that, that, that enables you to do it. Some of the stuff early on, I hadn't realised just what a, a breadth of races Nicky had done in his formative years, whether they were hill climbs in the Mini or the early Porsche races, some of them on airfield circuits, very obscure airfield circuits. And of course, Mm. Nicky wasn't a big name in those days. He was a, a young Austrian lad, privateer entry, starting a motor racing career. Why would anybody take pictures of him? Why would anybody be worried if he didn't finish was that the challenge then, John, to get those contemporary reports and those contemporary pictures, particularly from the early years? Yeah, you've, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head there, John. It's quite strange. His very, very earliest races, his first sort of oh, dozen or so races, he made quite a splash locally in Austria because um, you know, he was second in his very first race. He won the next four. In quite short order, he'd gathered a, a, a quite a quite a coterie of local following around so he was making the local newspapers and publications like austro motor they were reporting on him okay then once he started getting onto into the airfield stuff and into the formula v he was he, he sort of backed out of the public eye a little bit more then because he was he was he was a little bit less successful than his immediate splash and, and certainly by 1970 by the time of his formula three career um, it wasn't reported on very widely at all. The the attention and involvement that the motorsport press really had in him didn't really start until about 1971 when he was driving Formula Two for March, and particularly until the middle of the year when he when he was uh, he did quite well at Rouen, um, having got in front of Peterson a few uh, you know a couple of times. But the, the challenge with these with with the race reports, not just the early ones but the obscure ones, is. Sometimes there will be relatively few accounts, and sometimes the, the accounts that there are don't necessarily agree with each <laughs> other. So it, it's it's trying to establish the truth between those various reports. And how do you do and, that then? How I mean, you, you couldn't go and ask Nicky by the end of the book, certainly. Um, uh, and even if you had, he would have said, "Why are you bothering with all this old?" Whatever. Tosh, yes. <laughs> he, 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 he would not have been, inter- he, you know, he was famously uninterested in his own history. And, if, you know, had he, had he been aware I was doing it, he would, he would have basically said, why are you bothering? The, the, the points of fact are, are 
are, are kind of indisputable insofar as if you can get an entry list, if you can get a, a set of results, if you can get ideally, you know, the ones that the stewards posted at the end of it, then the, the points of fact about what he drove, what chassis it was, where he started, where he finished, how quickly he did it. That kind of stuff is 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 more easy to establish. The, the accounts of what actually happened in the race, how he did what he did, you, you've, you, you've got to try and get to, in the first instance, say, the reports that went into local press the week after. There were some publications that were more widely circulated than others, some of the local magazines and the national magazines would have picked him up, but certainly, you know, something like Autosport over here wouldn't have picked him up. Motoring News didn't really start picking him up until he was doing Formula Three. His name was spelt wrong early on as well, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, with a, with an R on the end, and you know, so that all of those things you've got to carve your way through. It's a fabulous, fabulous book. The text is brilliantly informative. It reminds me about him driving things like the RS3100 Capri, the Cologne Capri. It reminds me of his sports car outings. Uh, But there's a few things, oddities, that are just brilliant. And I'm going to ask you about your favourite oddity in a minute. (laughs) Oh, that's a good question. Well, I've given you fair warning. First of all, we've got to talk about BMW M1 Pro Car unthinkable in today's and probably for the last 15 or 20 years of Formula One landscape where the top six qualifiers in Formula One got hoisted into a support race in effectively works run BMW M1 Pro cars and competed before the Grand Prix. Extraordinary stuff and Lauda was outstanding in that series. Yeah, it, 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 was, it was an interesting year, that was as well, because that, that year, 1979, when ProCar was inaugurated, Lauda had probably the worst year of his Formula One career with the, with the Bram BT48, which was, a, which was a complete and unmitigated disaster. I mean, the ProCars themselves, fantastic piece of kit, you know, ridiculous turbocharged BMW beast, wonderful and noisy things that they, they were. You were right insofar as uh, uh, that it was the top six Grand Prix qualifiers with a little caveat that neither Ferrari nor Renault would allow their drivers True. to, to, yes. to drive in them so that so they didn't participate. It would have been wonderful, wouldn't it, to have seen Villeneuve in one of those things. Oh. Uh, Expensive, <laughs> I, just, I would suspect, as well. Yeah, there'd have been a lot of fiberglass around, wouldn't there? <laughs> it's, it's easy to forget that Lauda was actually a very good touring car driver. Yes. Earlier on in his, in, in his career, Certainly from 1973 to 1974, he was an absolute top flight, top flight touring car driver. That's how he was uh, paying his way in a lot of respects, wasn't it? To get his, uh, his single-seater career going. Uh, and, and to repay the debts that he'd incurred getting himself into his single-seater yes. career, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, he, he, was a, he was a works driver for BMW Alpina. Um, in fact, holds the Nordschleife lap record for a touring car uh, from 1973 in a 3-litre three, three CSL BMW. Um, and it, and was equally quick and impressive in the in the Cologne Caprice, as you said. So he, as as a as a tin top driver, he was already familiar with it. So so pro car were a, were a, a sort of fairly natural progression for him, um, and he was enjoying himself in them. You know, they 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 had, they had little grip. They they um, they oversteered like crazy, and they were they were overpowered. So he he, he had a great time driving. Every them. driver's dream. Every proper driver's dream. Yeah. And he, and he and, win the championship that year. He won, the, he won the Pro Car Championship. Yes. So has a dire Formula One uh, year and wins the Pro Car Championship concurrently. Interestingly, the, um, the, the existence of the Pro Cars 
um, because the originally contracted uh, builder of them that BMW had lined up that didn't fulfill the order. So uh, Project 4, which was Ron and Dennis's lot, who had built the, the, the car that Lauda drove and, and actually ran it as a sort of pseudo works entry. So, so he never actually drove one of the factory pro cars in the, in the series that had been allocated to the F1 guys. When the original builder of the pro cars failed to fulfill the order, BMW in desperation approached Ron Dennis and said, can you build the rest of them for me? And the money that Ron Dennis made from doing that is what enabled him to fund the construction of the first carbon fiber McLarens. All right, oddities. Um, oddities. Oddities. Oh, my, there's two of mine, yeah. and um, I, I won't go into too much detail because I don't want to spoil it. I want people to get the book and read it. But I'm going to say the Grand Premio uh, 127, I can't do that in Italian, um, oh, yeah. with, with Fiat 127s, and I'm going to leave that for people's imagination. And... Yeah. His 299th race was the Nissan Pulsar International Super Challenge <laughs> in Australia, which people also have to read. What was it, John, then, as a diehard Lauda fan, when you were doing this, when you were going through every one of Nicky's 16 seasons and 18 years, of course, because he had that break in the middle, which is covered in the book, what was it? that either for you stood out as something bizarre or was was there something in there that you went well i never i didn't yeah. know that yeah there were there were 14 of those <laughs> i love um, the fact you kept count it, it, it's quite interesting that, that point that you make because when you look at uh, uh, nicky's career is quite well documented or at least there's a lot of books around about nicky there's about a dozen autobiographies sorry a dozen biographies and half of them are good and half of them aren't but his two autobiographies stand out quite clearly because they're first-person accounts and, and they're very they're written in the way that he spoke, which makes them wonderful. But at the back of each of those autobiographies is a list of all the races in which he competed, where he started and where he finished. That's all it is. And pretty much every other book about Lauda that talks about his career and what races he competed in refers back to those two books. Right. And within those two books, there are 14 races in which he competed that he doesn't refer to, including the two that you've mentioned there. So, um, And I thought that was fascinating. And I don't know why, why, whether he's forgotten them or he just didn't rate them or whatever, but he, they're not mentioned. It's one of those races that, to me, was – and all of them were eureka moments. You think, oh, blimey, why the heck? But the, the, the one that stood out for me was actually his first single-seater race – that he doesn't mention in his own autobiography. You would really? think that for a racing drive, wouldn't you? You would think that this would be the one because this is where you're kind of going where you want to be. If we wind back to sort of 1968, he, he was racing a Porsche 911 on the, on the hills and a couple of airfield races. And he was badgering Kurt Bergman, who was the boss of the Cayman Formula V team, who were the dominant mm. Central European Formula V team at the time. He'd been badgering him for a drive. And although Nicky's family certainly didn't support him, his direct family didn't support him, his uncle was quite a fan. And his uncle was badgering Kurt Bergman as well, that Nicky ought to have a drive. And in the end, Bergman, who was a very good talent spotter, um, he, he was a kind of mix of, um, of Colin Chapman and Ken Terrell insofar as he was a very good instinctive engineer, but also a very good talent spotter, recognised that this lad had something. So he said, OK, you can, you can drive one of the cars. You can drive the fourth car at the next race. But, but here's the rub. The next race is in Kimala in Finland. The transporter driver is on holiday. 
So you drive the transporter to Finland with three cars on the back of it and a trailer behind. You get them there in one piece. You can drive the fourth car. You bring it back in one piece and bring the bring everything else but one back back in one piece, and we'll see where we go from there. And that's exactly what happened. He um, uh, he, he 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 took the whole thing up. However many days it takes to drive from Vienna to Kimla, I don't know, but it does obviously involve crossing the Baltic at some point. Um, <laughs> gets the whole lot there in one, one piece. Keeps himself out of trouble in the race. Finishes fourth. The the, the four Kymans finish first, second, third, fourth. Brings it all back in one piece, or almost in one piece, until they're halfway down the uh, autobahn going past Hamburg when the uh, when the drawbar on the trailer broke, and he managed to stop the thing in a straight line, however fast he's going. <laughs> there was no hard shoulder, so literally they threw the trailer over the uh, over the crash barrier, hitched the uh, one remaining car to the back of the trailer, and drove it back to Vienna. Brilliant. And you've even got a picture the, of that car. I need to find out more now, about this single seat here. But that photograph that you refer to there is of him coming out of the paddock in Kimla. The first time he's ever sat in a in a formula in a single seater formula car, uh, going out to practice for the very first time. How did you now, find that picture, John? By absolute blind luck is the answer. I love um, it. Um, you meant to say I did hours of research and tracked down a Finnish bloke who was living well, in a forest it, it, somewhere. It's better than that, actually, because <laughs> you referred earlier on to the, to the photographs of or to the mini. Mm. So his, his first ever his first ever race was uh, his four races were were in a Mini Cooper that he bought off Fritz Baumgartner, who was a, a saloon car driver and hill car, hill climb champion in Austria. So the very first photograph in the book is of uh, of, of Nicky on the uh, in the drive of his parents' house, looking at that Mini, and he's carrying a little transistor radio in his hand, which I think is fantastic. And this is the day before his very first race at Bad Malak and Hill Climb. Uh, at which point his parents still think that he's looking after that car for somebody else. They don't realise if he's he's got it and he's going to race it. That photograph came from a school friend of Nicky's, who who is these days uh, he's, he's retired and living in Austria. Stefan Kula is his name. Stefan's daughter is a life coach, business guru type person, and she put on her blog a number of years ago an interview that she'd done with her dad about a road trip he'd done with Nicky Lauda. Because Stefan had actually accompanied Nicky. Not, 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 he, he, so he's one of the, he, he'd been one of those very first early followers who'd been to the first few hill climbs with him. But he also accompanied Nicky to Kimla in that transporter. No way. Just, just for the ride. So, I mean, I knew that the race had happened and I knew that Nicky had come forth uh, from various other bits of research, but I'd never seen a picture. I didn't know the story of what happened. So I contacted the lady who was the uh, the life coach and said, "Is your dad still around? And would he be, you know, would he would he talk to me?" And a few days later, I, I got an email from uh, Stefan Kula saying, "This is what happened. Here's the story, and here's half a dozen pictures, uh, and they were the ones of the minis and whatever. But there in there as well was the photo of the Cayman." in the paddock at Kimla. And it's a great uh, picture. It's, it's a st- fabulous, great quality. And that's the other thing. 500 pictures in this book, John. Some of, most of which, particularly in the early days, have never seen the light of day before. All 316 races. It's uh, Nicky Lauder, his competition story by John Saltonstall. John, brilliant stuff. It's produced by Evera Publications. John, thank you very much for joining us on Midweight Motorsport. Not at all. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for talking to me. And Nick Damon, our Formula One correspondent, is with us as well. Good evening again, Nick. 
Good evening again to both of you and the entire listening public. He's a lovely bloke. Fantastic. What a great enthusiasm. What a, well, he's obviously done a huge amount of work and research to produce a, uh, a very good reference tome for years to come. I've, I think as he, he's gone now. I, I'll say this now. Um, fantastic dedication to do that. And proof, if proof were needed, of the old adage, there's a good book in everyone. Well, possibly not in me, but I'm just brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, that book, Nicky Lauder, The Competition History, 316 Races, uh, that's not the end of the Nicky Lauder story, though, Nick Damon, by any stretch of the imagination. Because, of course, and I and I think rightly, we didn't lose Nicky uh, from, from Formula One racing, and he was involved for, for quite a long time and influential for quite a long time. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Nicky Lauder obviously... To most of the younger motor racing public, you know, he's known for for being portrayed by um, Daniel Bruhl in uh, in Rush, and also known for being an integral part of Mercedes F1 team. Now, you know, the more established motorsport people know his fantastic career through the 70s and 80s. I um, mean, some of us also know that effectively when he stopped being a, a racing driver, one of the reasons he came, his first retirement was called off was he needed more money to to carry on running his own airline, Louder Air. So he ran Louder Air, but then he sold Louder Air to Austrian Airlines, um, and then he's, he's, that wasn't. And then a few years later, he formed a new sort of sort of semi-low price air, not quite the Ryanair model, more the EasyJet model, uh, which he formed. Then he then uh, formed Nikki. Uh, that mm. that merged there Berlin. So again, merging means another nice payday for 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 Mr. Louder. Uh, and then he then took it over and uh, renamed Louder Motion. So even uh, just before he passed, he was he once again owned an airline. So he had I flew on a Nikki go. plane once. It's all right. Yes. I flew, I flew on I flew on Louder Air once. It was, you know, no it was no better, no worse than any other of the uh, of the I, medium. I went to Dusseldorf on Nikki. Did you? Yes. Boy, boy with his arms tired. Um <laughs> but, glad um, we weren't going all the way to Berlin. Exactly, yeah. But of course, you know, in, but he, he effectively, you know, he, he came back in and was, was hanging around um, F1, you know, in a management capacity a lot long time before he got involved with Mercedes. He was at the Jaguar racing team from yes. 2001, 2002 and 2003. He was kind of drafted in as the, as the Jaguar team slowly sunk and went through various management phases and driver phases as it was constantly mismanaged um, by a selection of... Um, well, by the Ford Motor Company, really. Of course, that team was eventually sold to another Austrian, um, Dieter Mataschitz, and became Red Bull Racing. Um, he was, of course, a TV pundit, and and in fairness, prior to uh, his most recent sojourn back into um, say the AMG Petronas, so in which was I think formalised in September 2012, but he'd been informed for a while. He was, of course, uh, for a while, and people who are longer listeners to uh, this great show, well, no, he was in the uh, rent-a-quote um, capacity yes. up there with um, Jacques Villeneuve, uh, Sir Jackie Stewart, uh, Helmut Marco. We'd often get, because he was a, he was a he spoke his own mind, often using uh, the word which would get him banned on British TV that Germans love so much. Um, he, was he was not all... frightened of a comment, was he? And he and he wasn't frightened no. about upsetting people. But given what he had achieved, you kind of thought, right, wrong, or indifferent. And you know, and and as you said, we we've taken some of the things that he said apart on this show down through the years, like Flavio Briatore and one or two others that you mentioned there. Um, but you, you can't deny he had the, the absolute right to that opinion. Uh, and whether you agreed with him or not, he was forthright in saying it. 
Yeah, and he even continued giving his opinion, um, you know, within the, the confines of Mercedes and when the the, the height of the uh, problems between Rosberg and uh, and Hamilton, he was he was wasn't always um, calming the water. Often he's pouring pouring oil on top of waters. To yeah, he he had a, a kind of a, a kind of I don't know, it's a kind of uniquely Austrian way of looking at things. I mean, it does seem that the Austrians have this little bit. Uh, they do like to poke the fire occasionally, don't they? Rather than letting things burn down, I think. Yeah, very good from, from experience. I would have loved um, to know what he would have made of this current situation and our big question tonight i i oh. i suspect he would have been at the forefront of getting back to racing he'd be getting in the car yeah if nobody I'm else sure. wants to drive it i'll drive it i mean no i think i think absolutely i think you know i think that's a very good point John. i think and he would have been um he wasn't a corporate man and therefore he perhaps didn't hold the weight of corporate responsibility on his shoulders oh, that's a very good point you know he he was much more a race from it and able to, i wanted to go for it and i'm sure when, you know if we'd had the situation with the go no go back in Melbourne, which did which did turn on the decision by I'm afraid I've forgotten his name. It's the new head of uh, yeah. Daimler. Um, but you kind of think that if Toto had had Nicky there at the time, that that there wouldn't he wouldn't have been asking for counsel from the head of Daimler. He'd have been asking for counsel from Nicky. And I very much expect that the Australian Grand Prix would have gone ahead, right or wrong. Just that would have been a fact that would have happened. The other thing, so, of course, Nick, is that uh, if he was still with us. He'd be uh, making lots of money out of using his fleet of uh, jets to ferry people one at a time uh, between different <laughs> racetracks. Well, he would have been the first one to uh, to volunteer to stuff the holds full of uh, the PPE and the ventilators that Formula One were making to make sure they got where they wanted to as well, because yeah, he, he, he was that sort of. He did have that. Uh, in him you see he wasn't a corporate man but he made so much money down through the years from selling his hat well uh, yeah he he yeah i'm not saying he wasn't a commercial man that's a very ah. different thing um he, he always had his eye on on the uh, the dollar the, the euro the um what was did austria use marks shillings the, the euro? shillings austrian shillings yes <laughs> Um, so yes, yeah, so you know, yeah, I mean, and and he was a very successful businessman. Yeah, a couple of business. His, his initial airline went into trouble, which is why he came back to Formula One after three years off. And but you know, managed to get it re- bought out. And at the end of his, his days, he was incredibly respected and, and a very good manager. He managed in a different way. He, he did manage in a very 1970s way, but it was yeah. kind of breath of fresh air in the corporate world, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely agree. Nicky Lauda, his competition history, John Saltonstall, uh, is available now from Evro publishing and we'll put up the link on the website uh, Nicky Lauda who died one year ago today I had a fascinating documentary about him on uh, ITV4 last night as well oh, was that the Brian Moore one yes I, I saw somebody tweeted the link to that because it's it's up on the website as well now um, and it's there's a there's a link to that on um, on the collective and that is something that I do want to watch because I was a big fan of Brian Moore's interviewing style. Um, a lot of people I was just a big remember fan him as a Brian Moore. And well, I'm sure you know why. Gillingham fan. No, Gillingham director. Director. Yeah. And the fanzine was called our fanzine when fanzines were a big thing in the uh, what late eighties, early nineties. Was called uh, Brian Moore's head looks uncanny like the London Planetarium. Mm. Uh, a lot of people think of him as just a football commentator. He was much, much more than that. A very, very uh, uh, accomplished broadcaster. The uh, reason he made the Nicky Lauda documentary uh, was because the BBC were trying to poach him, and uh, in order right? in order to get him to stay at ITV, they said uh, you can make some do, documentaries do some on whoever stuff. you want. Oh. And uh, the first person he uh, wanted to do turned him down. 
<laughs> Do you know who that was? I can't remember. Um, it was a footballer. Really? Yeah. A footballer turned down Brian Moore? Yes. That's dangerous. Um, Must be retired. <laughs> he was yeah. retired footballer, even, oh, even okay. in 79. It was someone who, I okay. can't remember who it was now, but it was a big name um, footballer. Uh, let's move on uh, mm. on midweek motorsport. Yes. And we'll talk about the driver's merry-go-round still spinning like a top at the moment uh, in a moment but uh, let's talk about getting back to racing which I was yep. desperately trying to squeeze in before nine o'clock thinking it was still only quarter um, to nine to, yes ten to nine for which my apologies it's a time fly when you're enjoying yourself as we were there um there's been a, a number uh, this is all part of our big list of questions tonight how hard should motorsport be trying to get restarted and we've had some cracking input from you at Spectatainment, hashtag RSLBQ. There's been some guidelines by a number of, of uh, national motorsport organisations, including uh, the UK, uh, Motorsport UK, which is the, the UK organisation. And, and the seems Tim, to have been unusually uh, a bit of uh, putting heads together here by a number of ASNs. Yes, certainly I think they've all been guided to some extent by the FIA, but at the same time the FIA has appreciated that in every country the situation is different and they all have to come up with their own plan based on circumstances wherever they are. Yeah, exactly. And it's going to be different in Australia, which is effectively a closed marketplace, than it is in, say, Europe um, or the United States. So some of the things... uh, that I've picked out of the UK one, uh, driver signing on sessions will happen electronically. So they won't all go and crowd into a little marquee to do their driver's briefing and signing on. That'll all happen electronically. Uh, and no one will meet each other. How do you electronically te- check that the helmet, hands device and uh, fireproofs are all in order? Well, that's not done at that point anyway. That's done uh, when you scrutinising. So that's fine. Although they don't even have to take their helmets with them to uh, drivers briefing and signing on. No, well, no, no. But some, some, some classes when you sign on, you get you to, to be able to sign on. You have your stuff checked. But perhaps a bit lower down, perhaps. Uh, and in fairness, some sanctioning series like Creventic, for example, they do a fast track. If you are signed up for the whole year, then you present yourself and all your equipment at the start of the year, uh, and sign on and you sign an indemnity to say that you will continue to provide that equipment and you don't have to present it again um along with your license and stuff like that which i think is a pretty good uh, pretty good idea i think that's true of lots of championships yeah um they won't be uh officials won't be taking hold of uh, licenses um yeah you will need to send a text message with a photo of your license um, and that is it. If uh, you do something naughty and you're sent to see the clerk of the course, you don't go and see the clerk of the course. Really? Uh, no. You'll have a video chat with the clerk of the course, uh, who then has uh, as long as 60 days to notify you of his decision. Blimey. That's, sorry, that's not 60 a... days, 60 hours. Sorry. I was going to say. 60 hours. I, but even so, 60 hours is still a long time. To be sort of in the dock, effectively, and waiting for the waiting for the what, verdict. Waiting for the fine, yeah, which you'll have to pay electronically, no checks. Um, what were the other things? If you uh, if you go off and you can't rejoin the track, mm-hmm. 
then if you're okay, a marshal, well, a marshal will approach the car, but stay within, stay at least two meters away, and will approach the, f- the car from the front so that they can see you, and you have to give them a sign to say that you're okay. Um, at which point they will uh, go back to their marshal's post and leave you. Um, if you're able to get out of the car, you get out of the car when you walk to a place of safety on your own. Is there anything in there, Tim, about insurance and indemnifying people um, for catching the virus or in how they're going to handle normal event insurance under the circumstances and whether that will still be valid of course event insurance is done by individual championships not by governing bodies so um, that wouldn't be covered by this how can you prove you you caught it at the event that's not possible so if barry turns up and does a i don't know a a brit car event and 10 days later he's got coronavirus there's no way on earth he could ever be proven even if someone at corona the brit car event was proven to have had it doesn't he could have have got it at the uh, petrol station on his way home exactly i mean this if 20 people come away from it and spread it it wouldn't set up in court it would never john it would never set up insurance or in court because unless unless the guy could prove prove he had literally lived in a in a panic room for the entire period in between of two weeks before and after it's nick, just not possible it's a virus nick you don't have to prove it in a court the insurance companies aren't paying out and well insurance companies aren't covering minute, for covid anyway so it's not it's irrelevant hang on a minute tim hang on a minute the insurance companies avoiding people's insurance totally not just for for covid in terms of things like travel insurance and all of that. So you could be travelling without having insurance. Uh, you, and you, you can still get, get travel insurance, though. It just won't cover you for COVID. You can't get travel insurance at the moment because if you go against Foreign and Commonwealth Office uh, reg- uh, um, rec- uh, regulation, not regulations, um, Advice. guidelines, then you can't get insurance. And, and the other thing is it doesn't matter about a court of law, Nick. What it matters is about the court of public opinion. If there was an event at Silverstone and people who left the event at Silverstone caused uh, a huge, a, a huge, it caused a huge hotspot. I say Silverstone. It could be. I don't. It, I'm not picking out Silverstone. It could be at the Osterreich ring, at the Red Bull ring. It could be anywhere. And there's a huge hotspot, and somebody dies from it. What do you think the headlines are going to look like? And what do you think that's going to do to motorsport going forward? But the point is, it's not going to happen because of the social distancing involved. So no one, people aren't going to get close enough to each other at these events if they're following the guidelines. Okay. Um, even people are not allowed to travel to the event in the same car unless they notify the organisers in advance that they intend to do so, and then the organisers are compelled to keep a record of who, who has travelled in, in, in which, which car. car. Yeah, yeah. No, and that that I think is great, um, and that's that's all about tracing and tracking. Uh, that, and that's that's in case somebody does get ill afterwards. I'm, I'm, listen, I, 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 they're all good points, but there will be people, and there have been people that have said tonight, and there will be people who will say, how hard do we really want to try when there are still people dying of the disease? I, yeah, but the, the point about this is, and, and, I, and not, this is, takes you slightly out of just about motorsport. The fact is, we haven't got a vaccine for COVID, therefore people will have COVID. 
all the point about this whole process of locking down has been is to flatten the curve. We are never going to stop people having the disease. All we can do is minimize the transmission. And then you have to flick around and say, well, how much good is it? How much is society suffering for being locked down? Do we need diversion entertainment? Is the diversion entertainment, which people really need, actually more beneficial than the potential that healthy people who, will, who in 99.999% right. of cases will get better might have a chance of getting COVID. And frankly, we, we have to live with this disease. We can't be so fearful. I, I actually, probably unpopularly, actually think we're going too far. And I think, you know, this whole, and I definitely think that, that you know, we haven't got to it yet. The, the, the British government is being ridiculous with its, with its shutting the stable door with, with this stupid quarantine now, which if it was going to do it, it should have done it in April. So, we have to act, we have to have controlled infection if we have if we haven't got a vaccine otherwise and how many people are you going to allow to die how many people is okay to die then Extra. how many people is okay to die of in any circumstance how many people is okay oh. of to die of flu or if, in car accidents but but when 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 the when the driving principle for going back to say particularly formula 1 is about money then how Everything's many about okay? money. Well, okay. You, you could have a lockdown every winter to prevent people from dying from flu. You could ban cars to prevent people dying in car accidents. Where do you stop? It's about risk. It's about ri- an assessment of risk. And people who are far cleverer than me think that it's not a risk. Anyway, let's move on. Um... Silverstone has been on and off. Well, uh, yes. Um, after the glorious announcement that they had absolutely nailed down their first four races, the I think it did take two days for the yeah. first massive span to get thrown in the works, and that being that the um, the whilst the two Austrian races are fine to go ahead, um, at that point we there will be a, the, the British quarantine rules. It says if you come back from any foreign country, um, you need to spend two weeks self isolating at home. Um, kind of. Um, puts a span in the world because there isn't two weeks between the two the proposed races between austria and silverstone so that scuppers that or at least the first one and the other problem is if this two-week quarantine for the uk where seven of the teams are based remains it does mean that effectively once the teams leave to trottle off to austria they can't come home again because we're trying to pack all the races in so unless we end up with a very convoluted two-team solution which obviously can't imp- include the the top brass and the drivers um, the teams can't go home again. So, uh, you know, it, it, that does need to be sorted out. And, and whilst all the headlines are about all Bango Silverstone, which in fairness, disappointing for us, wouldn't be there in the world. They could throw in a Hockenheim or a Hungara ring, which are both fine. It is more the getting the teams to get their cars kit, people and personnel in and out of the UK as they would normally come. Otherwise, they are stuck there for literally abroad for months, John. Mm. Uh, and that that's going to be the issue of a number of championships, uh, of course. Uh, and as Shea was mentioning about IMSA earlier on, only 12 cars that uh, could field the uh, the uh, driving talent that they had at Daytona. Um, what else have we got in Formula One news? We had the big uh, story last week. Yes. Tim, you, right, were right. We? you were right. I said that Carlos right. was going to Ferrari, and I said that uh, Daniel Ricciardo was going to McLaren. Yes, you did, and we. I think did we all agree with you? We certainly all agree with you on Carlos Sainz. I think the the, uh, the Daniel one we were we, we, we were was looking very likely by then. 
Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, none of that is a surprise. Um, you know, the, the, the Carlos Sainz being off a of Ferrari drive, he's obviously going to take it. They want to, as we said, they're a proficient number two or proficient number one and a half. Let's be, let's give them the Rubens Barrichello terminology. Um, <laughs> and that's what they've got. Um, I'm sure Carlos thinks he can be more than that. So it's his chance to try and prove it. But I'm sure at least the first year, he'll have to be a little bit more subservient. Uh, Danny Rick going from Renault to McLaren says way more about Renault than it does about McLaren. Um because McLaren, yeah, they're on an upward swing, but there's, there's nothing, there's no indication that even by you know the beginning of next season, especially with the engine change, they're going to be anywhere near challenging the top three teams. But it's pretty obvious that Danny has decided there is very, very little chance of Renault being there. Two years and, ago, Danny turned down the opportunity to join McLaren. Yeah. So what's changed? They aren't. They haven't got. They haven't uh, got Honda disaster written all over them anymore. And don't forget, they had they, they struggled when they came back. I mean, the, the, whilst they were turning around saying they had the best chassis in the world, I think he knew they hadn't. And and the turnaround in those last two years, Andrew Seidel's now now there. Zach Brown's managed to finally get a management structure working. He's just got the sponsors that he get. We got the management structure. Um, so you know, no, that's the the whole the whole management of McLaren is completely different from two years. And genuinely much more confidence invoking for anybody inside or outside the sport. So it makes a much better idea. Renault is still run by the world's worst team principal. Actually, no, the equal worst team principal. He's the worst team principal. He's the equal prin- the worst principal with the deputy team principal. And that's Cyril Abitable, who I cannot understand why he hasn't been fired. Um, constantly employs people and then fires them before they've got a chance to do anything. Was ridiculously petulant in letting Danny Rick go. Now, news today. Um, I don't know if you've seen this. There is news on the wires that Renault are looking to make 1.2 billion euros of savings. Mm. So is there even going to be a team to go to is the question. Do you think it's that bad? Is this is this at a big enough corporate? You're talking about Renault as a company. Mm-hmm. Uh, as yeah, a car manufacturer. Well, Renault, Renault have been wobbly in their support. They've got in, in is one this way as they've got the, the Peugeot uh, situation where when they started laying people off, they had to get rid of the LMP1 there, team, there even though it was paid for. Well, there's a difference, of course, in that the Renault F1 team has a value, um, and they wouldn't want to do what happened to, to, to Toyota at the height of the financial crisis, just have to sink the whole lot and it disappeared. They want to try and sell the team as a going concern. Right. So they want a Lawrence Stroll-like person to come in and buy the team, even if it's not for market value. Yeah, even if it's not for market value. I mean, don't forget, they are down, as of the end of this year, they are the only people they're supplying engines to are themselves. So their commitments outside Renault are zero. The Enstone factory has, a, has an intrinsic value of you know, many, many tens of million dollars, as does the team and the entry and everything else. So, um, you know, in normal days, they could certainly say it for some money uh, and, rec- and, and not, uh, certainly wouldn't have to pay the, the redundancies and everything else. But, you know, Renault haven't shown much support. They've got very poor management, um, you know, and they, they need to, you know, and I think that's one of the reasons why you know, the, the team is desperately wafting Fernando Alonso around because the idea is that they can yeah. stick Alonso in the car. Suddenly, it, the, the, the concept that Renault is a PR device for the Renault global organization and even Renault who aren't doing particularly well if we sat down and analyzed it would make way more from publicity than they spend on on the actual cars you know I know there's a big check being signed but they all know what the value of the of the publicity they're getting for the brand is um you know it's not the two and a half or three and a half billion euros that Mercedes are getting but it's still several hundred million euros against the two or three hundred million euros spend they're still in profit even before they get you know in virtual profit um 
But it's not. It's not as if uh, there will be people that say. It's not as if there are people queuing up to be a Formula One team. If there were, if there were, even before this current crisis, if there were, there's space on the grid. Now, the difference is, though, as has been said, as you've said many times, Nick, is it's far easier to buy a current team than to set one up. Yes, and and therefore you know, but you, but until someone's available, you never know who come up the woodwork. Now it's gotten, you know, if someone did buy them, it would it wouldn't end up being a highly fa- financed works team, but you know, it would still be a team that would keep two cars on the track, hopefully, and and employ most of the people. And we are going into the uh, era of cost cap. It's supposed to get signed off sometime this week at 145 million dollars plus uh, marketing and expensive mm. people. So you know, there is a at least it's not cubic dollars anymore. Um, you know, it's, that that complicates the simple situation. And, it, mm-hmm. and as part of those savings, there is a strong rumour coming out of France that the Dieppe Alpine factory, factory will be yeah. closed. Yeah, I mean, and that the it, brand may go. That's a pity. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this is the issue. Some, some sell tough, the brand. tough decisions are being are being made, but there are for the right price, people will buy a. Uh, a Formula One team, um, and yeah, it just depends whether, whether Renault are prepared to sell, whether Renault need to sell, it, whether Renault can refinance it in such a way where, because when they think they're only spending, I don't know, two hundred million euros, and it's bringing them in five hundred million euros of virtual publicity, it's actually worthwhile. But yeah, you know, it is always a difficult thing, as Toyota, BMW, and Honda found during the, the financial crisis, as the Peugeot story, of course, as well, to lay people off whilst going Formula One motor racing, even though the two are completely unconnected. It doesn't link to each other. It just looks bad. Uh, the, the, uh, you, nothing can be looked at in isolation, Nick. And the mm. current situation, obviously, is very bad for all car manufacturers. But there's also the troubled relationship with Nissan, isn't there, to think about when you yeah. talk about Renault. And that that, uh, <coughs> that everybody thought was going to be great. It's going to be platform sharing. It's been a bit of an albatross for both brands, hasn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the, we had the excitement of Charles uh, Gones' um, flight Carlos to freedom Gons, in yeah. Carlos Gons, sorry, Carlos Gones' flight to freedom in a uh, was it was it a saxophone case or a drumming flight, case? It was a flight case of uh, yeah. musical equipment. Yeah. Um, you know, he's fallen foul, and I've no idea whether what he did, he did it or he didn't do. But it is very common for European heads of Japanese large corporations to end up being indicted for things. Um, the Jap- they are, there is a bit of a, a previous Wait, on where that. Where is a Carlos right now? Lebanon. Lebanon. Low, is he? Yeah. With Duran Duran, actually, in the Lebanon. Um, I see what you did there. That's for as people of a certain age. Uh, yeah, well, that's, that's a certain age I am. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the, the point about this is we're, we're panicking around to get a calendar, and, and we will get, F1 will get a season away. F1 will get a season away somehow, even if people have made massive personal sacrifices and not see their families for months. We'll get a season away. The only question is, will it be 12, 13, 14, 15, or 16 races? They're now talking about running four in, in the Middle East, by the way staying there for yeah. a month and doing two at Bahrain, which they can do at two at Bahrain, because Bahrain, of course, has two quite distinctive layouts. Unfortunately, the second one, which they ran once for the anniversary, was an awful track, but never mind. Is that the, um, is that the long one that goes right at the back? Yeah. Oh, no, I yeah. like that. And do by you? the way, and by the way it was the, well. the Lebanon was the human league, not Duran Duran. Oh, it was. Sorry. Thank you, Declan. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Uh, uh, um, yeah, I, no, I like that hill side circuit um it'll have to be more cameras then it makes it quite a lot longer 
Mm. Well, they say they have right, they have right ones before. Um, I was about to say it's bad for spectators, but they don't get any spectators there anyway. So. And they won't have any. So yeah, they, they've got. They, they now do. They can now see their way clear to getting a world championship. They've got to get it away. People have got. Yeah, you know, it's. Um, and that's fine. But whether we have anything at Silverstone, silver, I don't know. I mean, it is going to be difficult with the current rules for the UK. But yeah, the, the fallout from this is is as we all know is going to be long and painful. Uh, for motorsport and and for many other Every things, other so mm. you know it's, we are going to we are in a global recession. It should bounce back quicker than we did in two thousand and eight, but it still has to bounce back. A uh, US Grand Prix scheduled for the same day as the IndyCar season finale. Nick, yeah, I saw that. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure. I mean, Cota desperately, Cota, Cota don't have much use for a behind closed doors race, really. So unless they get the people in, obviously Texas being significantly more flexible. Um, on on social distancing than, than other places uh perhaps that'll happen but you know coda have their own issues and, and having it behind closed doors not a great thing mm. uh we've been asking the question tonight about uh how hard should motorsports uh, try to get back uh, you've been very vocal on both sides of uh the coin uh jackie warnock uh, who is in Australia, obviously. She says, I know I might be biased. I work in the industry and I'm a country, in a country barely affected. I do think it should restart. Uh, we can't sit and wait for a vaccine, which might never come. If it can be done in a safe and measured way with testing, mass, mass distancing, etc. Of course, this is without considering the other issues. Isolation and restrictions are causing on a bigger level mental health, domestic violence, economic, etc. I'm just catching up on the holidays that I've never had in the last 20 years. I've still got another uh, 20 weeks to go, I reckon. Um, Motorsport UK. Uh, we, we didn't talk about the um, uh, disinfecting of the cars, Tim, that's been suggested well, you, for You decided for to move on before I'd got that far. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there are <laughs> special rules for championships where more than one person is in the car. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, there are different rules for... Uh, championships where there were two people in the car at the same time, but would would not go there. Um, so yes, the British GT Championship, for example, has had to extend the length of its compulsory pit stops. Yeah. Mm. What? So you just say, so, so you, driver hops out. Yeah. Hops back in the game with a wet wipe and hops out again. Pretty no, much. No, yes. somebody else has got to do it, have they? Oh, should I got something else doing. He got, it's got to be the driver's got to wet wipe it down again. He got to have something else doing. It was a third, you brought a third person in there. I tell you what, there's going to be a massive uh, jobs boost for Valitas at, uh, at GT events, isn't there? Yeah. No, because they won't be allowed in. Well, no. they're essential, surely. Well, yes. I mean, this is this is this is yeah. It is going to be odd, and things are going to be difficult. But yeah, I think yeah. The, the other thing we, 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 I think the thing everyone needs to bear in mind is that we are in the we're at the middle of May, and none of us know what it's going to look like in August. You know, you, you go at middle. More August is two and a half months from now, and think where we were two and a half months ago. Nobody knows where we're going to be in four weeks' time. Yeah, but I think it's important that we. That this is the problem with planning for motorsport for people for everyone else. We just no one knows what's going to happen. It could be, you know, the summer comes and actually is temperature. The virus is temperature affected, and suddenly it all goes back to very very low levels. And, that, and then, uh, we're, then we're worried about the winter again. Yeah, and, I, and actually, Tom Firth said something which I thought was quite sensible earlier on. Uh, what you know, surely it's better to have plans in place than to find out 
you know, two months down the line that, we, oh, we can start it up again. Oh, but we haven't got any plans to start it up again. Let's yeah. at least put... Yeah. And this is what we've been saying on this show, isn't it? Every time we've had a Gerard Nouveau or a John Doonan, it's much better to be looking forward to something and say, look, it's a moving target, guys, but if we can at least get that in the diary and people can be working towards that, look, it's got an asterisk. Everything's got an asterisk next to it at the moment. So... Uh, Dave Alcock says uh, we've got to be careful and not wanting to be anywhere morbid but uh, but uh, in the UK uh, 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 35,704 have lost their lives that mortality rate is horrendous influenza is under one tenth of that in 1920 um, you can't underestimate the, the danger of this but as everyone has said or as a number of people have said tonight um, it's going to be around for a while and uh, we may have to learn to live with it. That may mean giving up some things that we've been used to. And I think that will happen in sport, in motorsport, as well as, well as it will in real life. Thanks for your uh, apologies. Uh, thanks for your apologies. Thanks for your um, submissions on the big question tonight. Uh, we've got a big week coming up, Tim, haven't we? Well, I was going to say, you might not know what you're doing in four weeks' time, but you do know what you're doing in three days' time. Yes. Uh, three days' time, Nick Damon. It's Creventic, oh. it's Monza, and it's the 12 hours. It is, and I'm multitasking. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, got a, I've got a complaint to make the responsible adult. All these drivers who are coming in and taking commentary jobs... Even from eSports now. Uh, yeah, well, for those who don't know, um, Creventic, who are actually, of course, going back to the original, going to be the first uh, European series back in the, um, with, the, with the race at Portimao on what should have been Le Mans weekend. Uh, they're running a 12-hour um, Creventic-style uh, endurance race at Monza, running from uh, 11 to 11 UK time, 12 to 12 um, European time. And in amongst the many stars, and there are many stars of racing, um, is car number 62, which is the R, which is Team RSL, powered by MoFo, which includes me, Joe, and Ben as drivers, and and two people who know more what they're doing on the team management side. Uh, <laughs> the the entry list is out. It's spectacular. There's a lot of real world yeah, preventive it, I, drivers yeah, in there. Yeah, I must admit, we were, we were quite. What's the confident. class structure? Um, it's uh, GT3, uh, Porsche Super Cup. Oh, sorry, Porsche um, GT3 911s. Uh, and uh, GT4s and TCRs, so just like a real Creventic race. Yeah, I, op- I opened up the first entry, um, and it was a WRT Audi, and the first two cars were drivers were, were Mirko Bortolotti and Kenton Kook. If you've been watching the IMSA series, I know are quite good. Ah. So, but I'm thinking, I'm hoping that Kenton will bring his luck with him because there's no fast repairs on this one. So if, he can, if someone can bat him off in the first lap, we could have, we could have a chance. But we're, we're going, we, we have a plan, and the plan, in football terms, is to keep it on the island. Right, just keep going. But around. run into the back of Kenton Cook. Yeah, well, quite well, early on. Steer away. That, but no, that the, the, bright pink it, car is a is a magnet for uh, everything else. A full field of fifty cars in four classes, live in sound and vision at radio-show.co.uk. Uh, Bruce Jones, Johnny Palmer, and Nick Damon join myself or join me, John Hindhoff, uh, for that on Saturday. That's on Saturday. Are you looking forward to it, Nick? We are doing genuinely. We are. We did a, a team practice today. We are. We are really, really trying as hard as we can, starting from a position of not being very good. But mm. it is great. It is, Who's it is the fastest really, driver among you? Uh, it is Adam Christodoulou. Darren, but 
no, Adam's not in our team. Adam's in the team with Tom Onslow Cole. Oh, okay. um, of, the, of the three of us, um, the fastest, the most consistent driver is, is Joe. The fastest on an individual lap is Ben. But Ben has been inclined to bin it rather too often. Bin it, Ben? Yes. So if he can, if he can rein back the binning, then Ben will probably be the quickest. Okay. Hmm. But one, one bin is no good. If you, if you, there's no point being a second lap quicker if you bin it even once. Well, I, I, think, t- I think the longest real life race that Ben's ever done is about 20 minutes. Well, you're yeah, only we, as good as your last result. Didn't he finish his last result on his roof? Yeah. I think it'd be worth watching to see how we do, because I think we'll start off towards the back. And if our plans come to fruition, we will slowly creep forward as everyone else falls off. <laughs> OK, so that's Saturday. There's uh, some practice and qualifying and the pre-show. We'll have all the details up on Radio dashshow.co.uk tomorrow night of course is Big Thursday with Tora it's the US uh, presenters tomorrow night and then Creelsey Shebex and the rest of the On The Grid team from Australia but after do you you want to know what's happening in Tora tomorrow yes quickly Uh, they'll be joined by uh, Eric I knew I was going to struggle to pronounce (laughs) this Eric Filgaris right uh, right. Who is a NASCAR Euro Se- NASCAR Wheeling Euro Series driver? Right, excellent. And he'll be talking about his sim racing. That's at eight. Nine is Krilzy and the guys uh, with Shebex, and they'll be looking at motorsport in Australia. So expect a follow up on some of the things we've been talking about. Stay tuned tonight because we do have the first episode of a brand new program. It's not about. Uh, it's not about motorsport. It's about the world's favourite game, football, soccer. And we've given Declan's programme, the Football Rewind, uh, home here on the Radio Show Limit, a family of ne- network. Now, normally it would be on every Saturday, and it will be every Saturday at 3 o'clock UK, 3 o'clock Eastern, oh, and 3 o'clock Pacific. It's, it's on RS3 uh, this weekend. Just and think of three all the time. Three, three, three o'clock, o'clock RS3. Three o'clock RS3. And where the schedule allows, we'll simulcast it on RS1. Now, this week, Steve Hill, renowned football journalist, joins Dex to dive into the greatest FA Cup upset of them all as Hereford FC take on the might of I can't believe I've had to say that as take on the might of Newcastle <laughs> United uh, that's coming up apps, uh, as soon as we're finished here thanks to all our guests Declan tonight wrote that didn't he uh, uh, yes just he did. reading. yes uh, and uh, thanks to all our guests tonight particularly to John Saltonstall and we'll put all the details of that nitty louder uh, his competition career book up on the website uh, the podcast the archive will be up to listen to or on demand or to download as soon as is humanly possible actually quicker than is humanly possible because it's tim gray that's doing it it's a big week this machines week machines do it machines Check. do it I, I have no involvement i just tell it to start and it does it machines do it machines do it machines do it machines do it oh he's we've got we've got tim on repeat <laughs> uh check the check the schedules at the bottom of the homepage for all the content this week and be with us on saturday for that monza 12 hours until then have a safe week and thank you all for joining in tonight there's no time to explain the llama has got its football boots on This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.